Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. kind of makes sense. You can understand why so many Christians fall into this trap. Decision theology. Well, Jesus has done everything. Most Christians will say, of course, Jesus has done everything for our salvation. But for so many, that doesn't mean that there isn't something, even a very little something that you have to do. Make a decision, whatever it may be. Oh, even if it's only surrender to Jesus. So it makes sense. It seems like if Jesus has done everything, there might be something, just a little something for us to do to seal the deal, but that's not what the Bible teaches. So what is the comfort of knowing and understanding that we are dead in trespasses and sins and that the work of salvation, including our conversion and our coming to faith, is also God's work through his word? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about decision theology, Pastor Matt Harrison. He's president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of a column for the latest edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Dead Men Don't Decide for Jesus. Matt, welcome back. Hi, Todd. Great to be with you. Tell us about your high school and college experience with an evangelical Christian organization for athletes. Well, I was raised in the Missouri Synod and not much catechesis was going on at home, although my parents made sure we were in church regularly and participated in confirmation by Sunday school. My mother was a Sunday school teacher, etc. So, But I, I got into high school and was heavily into athletics. And somehow, as a high school football player, there was a kind of a growing influence from a local college of individuals who were part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And there was also an emphasis, and I would say in part through me and probably a couple of others, to have uh, Bible studies among athletes, students, etc. So I kind of fell into this, and I think it was that influence from outsiders who had been part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but also kind of the natural nature, the natural desires of the flesh to take credit for something within the context of a kind of a theology of glory in athletics. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 11 or so is a great favorite among that crowd. Well, Paul is talking about surviving in the midst of the most horrid crosses and difficulties. That uh, And there's no promise that those will go away or you'll be victorious. But there's this innate desire in human beings to think that uh, we can, by our own choices, conquer, become victorious, and that then somehow some evidence of uh, Christian victory and overpowering faith will be shown to us, like winning in football or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think that kind of sums up how I got into it. How did you reconcile that decision theology in that organization with what you were hearing in your Lutheran church on Sunday morning? 
I didn't reconcile it, or I didn't notice that there was a difference at first, not much of a difference. But then I began to have the idea that because in evangelicalism there was this kind of very warm piety, a lot of hugging of friends and things that I had not experienced religiously before, and there was kind of a a religious awakening going on. And that was happening kind of in both in the youth group in my church, where certain evangelical practices had come to fruition in the congregation, but still decidedly not decision theology. But yet, hanging around with the evangelicals, I began to be obscure to me, and I began to especially judge my local congregation because it didn't elicit the signs that I thought Christianity ought to have, and those signs are emotional outpourings of faith and warmth and a response to uh, pietistic music, whether swaying or tapping feet or clapping or that kind of thing. So it was kind of a mishmash. What was missing from the decision theology? Jesus says to his apostles, you did not choose me, I chose you. I remember quite clearly taking some of my evangelical friends, they were assemblies of God, at least one of them was, I recall, but non-Lutherans, Protestants, taking them to an LCMS youth event for the district. And the district, actually it was a, kind of a para-youth gathering. And we had the Lord's Supper, and uh, the pastors rightfully said, we won't be able to commune your non-Lutheran friends. And I raised an objection to it. And I remember distinctly in the course of that that my own vicar, I think, asked me, well, do you know what the sacrament is? And I said, it's a symbol. And I distinctly remember after that conversation telling my Assemblies of God friend and uh, the others, when I became a pastor, I would never do such a terrible thing as practice close communion. So somehow, between being confirmed and getting to the age of 17 or 18, I had either never realized or forgotten what the Lord's Supper was. As I look back on it, I I just think it is so spiritually dangerous to hang around where Christ and his justification, daily justification of the sinner by grace, is not the focus of Christianity. And uh, I made sure my own children were clear on this and we had opportunities for them to be involved in strong Lutheran, stronger Lutheran programs. You say that decision theology produces arrogance, hypocrisy, or despair. What do you mean by that, Matt? Well, again, I, and this is kind of ironic, it's sort of, this is a whole diatribe against subjectivism, and I'm telling about my own story, which is kind of ironic, but... I distinctly remember in this evangelical period where I was at times considering leaving my church for evangelicalism. At the same time, I was welcome at my church. And I was actually playing the guitar, and I have nothing 
against guitars in church, and I think appropriate music can be played on a guitar in a church setting. But it, this was kind of entertaining. And I remember telling the audience at my congregation, this was not during a worship service, but that Christ has done everything he could for you now, the rest is up to you. And uh, I was convinced, according to the evangelical paradigm, that I had had a spiritual awakening and had made a choice for Jesus. How this all fit together was a jumbled mess. I never denied my baptism that I recall as an infant, but that I had made the spiritual choice and now things were going wonderfully for me. I was doing well in athletics and school and had a wonderful girlfriend and everything else. And Obviously, if you make the right decision for Jesus, your life will come together too and you'll live a victorious life. I was hearing that paradigm within the evangelical circles, not within the Lutheran youth circles. But I realized that it was just absolute rubbish. It was false. Because I knew the law condemns. I had become arrogant looking down. I remember one time trying to convert my 80-plus-year-old grandfather who was a charter member of the congregation where I was baptized. Why? Because he wasn't showing enough emotional fervor for Christianity. Imagine that. So I was arrogant thinking that I was done with justification and I was well on to living the sanctified life. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I don't know if this was universal, but it happened in the local gatherings at our local college, which we would attend on a time. The question was always, what quarter are you in with Jesus or God? And if you were in the first quarter, you were having difficulties and you were sinning and everything else. But if you're in the fourth quarter, you're really tight and you're living the holy life, etc. And I remember when it got around to me, I was usually in the fourth quarter, you know. And then, I don't know, something came along and said, this is just, it's bogus. The law condemns the good that I would, I do not. That which I don't want, I keep on doing, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? And all of a sudden, I just turned away from it and realized that the scriptures did not support it. There was something fundamentally off. And I was in the context of getting a religion degree at a, a very liberal Methodist college, and uh, it was a good experience for me being exposed to all kinds of different ideas, mostly agnostics, but and different philosophies. But I realized fully I was not a liberal Protestant and I was not an evangelical. I was a Lutheran, and that was quite something different. Pastor Matt Harrison is our guest, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're discussing decision theology. We will discuss Martin Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed and how it figured in his return to Lutheran theology. Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Oh, 
listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about decision theology with Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of a column for the latest edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Dead Men Don't Decide for Jesus. Matt, how did Martin Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed come back to you? It's a miracle. I think it's a divine miracle. and demonstrates the power of the Word of God. You know, I was smart enough to not worry much about my memory work for the catechism and god bless redeemer lutheran church every wednesday night we had midweek school and the parents all involved and you had to show up early and take your turn at reciting memory work from the catechism to a parent and uh, that was the old i think it was a 41 or 43 catechism i thought it was a 41 catechism and of course, we had to change everything to the NIV and now ESV, and uh, I'm as ticked off as everybody about changing catechism versions. I think the verse I remember more than any from the New Testament from the catechism is, with food and raiment, let us be there with content. But somehow, in the middle of this churning, this coming to convictions and realizing I was arrogant, and even despairing at times, I remembered the explanation of the third article. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus my Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, even as he calls, gathers, and enlightens the whole church of God on earth. And I realized that my salvation, my conversion, my daily living as a Christian is 100% God's doing. And it's not my will, it's God's word. And the text of the scriptures just began, I was reading the Bible, and the text of the scriptures just began to pile up over and over again. John 1, children born not by the will of man, but by God. Dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Made alive. All of Paul's texts where he, he compares coming to faith with the resurrection. And then realizing, even in the story of Lazarus, with that resurrection connection, how does Jesus come to Lazarus? Does he say, Lazarus, everything that needed to be done for you has been done. Now the decision is up to you. If you want, you can decide to rise and come out of that grave. Now, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And where's the power for Lazarus to rise? It's the word. It's in the word of Christ, this powerful, almighty word that creates faith, created life in Lazarus' case. And I think that's completely parallel. In fact, that's a, a 
bona fide Pauline New Testament parallel. Resurrection. That's what coming to faith is like. It's coming from death, spiritual death, to life. Dead men don't decide. The power's in the word. And that is so comforting. It's certain. It's outside of me. It's sure. What else do the Lutheran confessions teach about the nature of our salvation and conversion? Well, it's interesting you ask that question. That the confessions are on about this topic almost exclusively. It's all outside of us. It's God's grace alone, which is his free favor. The gift is received by faith alone. We are called to believe what Scripture alone teaches, and the heart of Scripture alone, says the confessions over and over again, is the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. We know who God is, first article of the Augsburg Confession. We know the problem of sin and how deep the problem is. One big challenge of evangelicalism is, and the same thing goes with Roman Catholicism and any synergistic paradigm, which puts man in some way responsible for his salvation. As Zasa says, uh, Dostoevsky teaches, like Eastern Orthodoxy, that man is a poor, sick, spiritually sick being who needs to be nursed this spiritual health. Well, for the New Testament, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God raises up dead men to make them alive in Christ. And the entire point of the Lutheran Confessions is a pastoral point. It's all about, a beginning to end, it's all about certainty, consolation of the gospel. Christ's objective act gained on the cross and doled out. The Augsburg Confession again starts with who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who man is, doctrine of sin. Article 3, who is Christ, the Son of God, God and man in the flesh. Luther says, if over against our sins and the scale is just a man, Jesus, then we are lost. But because he is the God-man with divine blood, 1 John 1, 5, 4, something like that, 5 on, because he is the God-man with divine blood that far outweighs all the sins of the world and our redemption has been accomplished. And then Article 4, the Article of Justification, this reckoning of individuals as not guilty, righteous, not guilty. It's a legal forensic act. Paul uses the word justification 48 times in his 13 epistles. We are there justified not through works of the law, but by grace, Paul says repeatedly. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And uh, this justification is God's reckoning. You think about it. Oswald Bayer made this point. At every turn, human beings want to be recognized. I want to be accounted as something, as somebody. Recognized, accounted as valuable. Think about children who have been abused or people who have gone through difficulties, but to be accounted by somebody, to be recognized as valuable, 
a, a person suffering in some horrible camp of migrants somewhere, forgotten, lost, a prisoner, even our daily challenge in our families or with our spouses, what joy is ours to be accounted as a person, to be recognized as valuable. It's the ultimate quest. It turns bad when we try to account and reckon ourselves not guilty over against somebody accusing us when we're clearly wrong. But this is our fundamental need in life. And the doctrine of justification does exactly that. It accounts every single person as valuable as the blood of Jesus. Christ is put to death for our transgressions and raised for our justification. And this justification comes to us individually and is received by faith alone, not by works, but by faith alone. And then follows Article 5. How is this justification doled out? By the Word of God, which is living and mighty and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why I'm not asking for decisions right now. What I'm doing is proclaiming the gospel. And anybody who hears this and believes it right now has it totally. You have it. I tell you, it's yours. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And then comes Article 6 in the Augsburg Confession. Good works. How shall I then live as a Christian? Though my works will never earn me heaven, will always be tainted by sin. Nevertheless, I'm directed by God in my daily living by the Ten Commandments. The confessions are all about that. Absolute certainty and surety in what the Word of God delivers to us. Clear law, clear, clear gospel delivered right to our doorstep, right to our ears, right to our mouth. The confessions are the greatest document of pastoral concern ever written, aside from the Bible. Why is it so important that we know that the Holy Spirit, as you said a moment ago, works through means? It's for certainty. I continue to hear stories like this. My wife, we were attending Concordia Seward, had a marvelous short time there. I needed, after I'd gone through all this evangelical stuff, and all of the liberal Protestantism at the university I was attending, I just wanted to go and get some Lutheranism somewhere and learn some Greek. And so I talked them into letting me finish my degree at Concordia Seward, where I jumped halfway through the year into Dr. Block's classical Greek class, which about killed me. But I survived and thrived. It was the most life-changing, I think, course I ever took. And I remember my wife was working at a local fast food place. God bless her. And she had a co-worker who said to her, I've been baptized three times, but this time I really meant it. And of course, after we laughed uproariously, we about wanted to weep for this poor girl. Where is certainty? Here's baptism, but here it's turned into a human work about my seriousness. Baptism now saves, not the washing of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Baptism is that pledge. It's external to us. It's received by faith. But 
Arise, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, says repeatedly in the book of Acts. In baptism, we are clothed in Christ, Paul says in Galatians. In baptism, we're buried with Christ by baptism into his death, Romans 6. There's no symbolic talk about baptism. It delivers the goods. It's the gospel, water and the word connected. Go, therefore, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The one name is triune. And that name is placed on us, and we are forgiven. It creates faith. Faith receives the gift. Faith relishes in the gift. I am baptized. Nevertheless, no matter what happens, I don't look at myself. If difficulties overcome me, and they always will, and finally, you're going to die. You're not going to get out of this life alive unless Christ returns. You're going to follow Christ himself to the grave, but because of baptism, you're baptized into his death, which is yours. He has forgiven you. His death was the death of all sin for you. He died your death. He took upon himself your hell. He went to the grave for you. And he rose again on the third day, and you shall rise again. That is a means. That is something outside of us. That is God's act. God's doing. The gospel itself as proclamation is the same kind of action. I tell you right now, because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, and a complete fulfillment of the law, and death for your lack of fulfillment of the law, I tell you right now, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Believe it, it's yours. The gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. The gospel is the power, not you making some decision. I tell you, Christ has decided for you. Believe it, and it's yours. Pastor Matt Harrison is our guest. Decision Theology is our topic. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Thank you for almost 6.5 million downloads so far this year in more than 160 countries and for consistently ranking issues, etc. among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 Hymns of the Day for Lent and Holy Week, featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can donate by check, make your check payable to Issues Etc., and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for helping us educate a new generation of Lutherans. When we return... What is the comfort of knowing that we were dead in trespasses and sins and that God alone affected our salvation and our conversion? Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. 
You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org stewardship. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, freedom, vocation. Concordia University, Chicago. cuchicago.edu. We're discussing Decision Theology with Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. So Matt, what is the comfort of knowing that we were dead in trespasses and sins and that God alone affected both our salvation and our conversion? It's so utterly comforting. Jesus says repeatedly to his disciples, and they wrote it. The apostles and evangelists wrote these things for us to believe. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. In Ephesians, after Paul talks about the free nature of grace and that we are saved by grace through faith, which is not of ourselves, which is his doing. Even faith is his doing. Then he says, we are his workmanship created for good works. We are his workmanship. And if it's Dependent upon him, it is certain and sure. And I can know it for sure. My eternal election even is certain because I know it is certain in Christ. Paul only uses the doctrine of election, Ephesians 1, for instance. He only uses it for comfort and consolation for suffering Christians. That's why we confess election to eternal life, but no consequent and rational election to eternal damnation. There's no double predestination. It's irrational, but it's what the New Testament teaches. Look, for instance, at Acts, I think, 13. Paul preaches to the Jews there that we came to you, and you have rejected it. Therefore, you get the fault. You've rejected it. He doesn't say that God said, you're elect to be damned. No, he says, because you rejected it, we turn to the Gentiles. And then he preaches to the Gentiles, 
And he says, as many as were ordained for eternal life believed. It doesn't make sense, but that's what the Bible teaches. There's an election only to eternal life. And that election comes to fruition and knowledge for us in Christ, in Christ, in him. It occurs like eight times in Ephesians 1. Where do we know for certain that we are Christ? We know it in Christ. That is in his baptism, in the supper where he says, take and eat, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. His objective promise holds good there. There's no promise beyond that. There's no hidden will behind that. He's there for you. Believe it. And it's 100% yours. It's outside of yours. And it's only for sinners, by the way. Look, he says, come to me, all your weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says, I came not for the righteous who don't need to repent, but for sinners. He came for sinners. You better be a sinner or you have no need for Christ. And that sinfulness, though we as Christians uh, do our best to avoid outward gross sins, yet we know whoever looks at a woman to commit adultery with her is already guilty. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Those are constant daily challenges for every Christian. Envy, hatred, anger, those are real sins. And we repent of them daily and continue to trust in Christ. We're constantly sinners. We are beggars, true. All of us need Christ. What would you say to someone who is still caught up in decision theology? You've got to read the Bible. You know, when Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve, he's speaking to a group of Christians aberrant, etc. When I say to somebody, look, you're a Christian, go to church. Make the decision to get your rear end out of bed and go to church. I'm talking to Christians. I'm saying, cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit. You can say that to Christians. Do good works. Don't spurn the word of God. And all those things are worked by God, but we cooperate with them. But the Bible talks much differently about conversion from non-faith to faith. And you have to notice those distinctions, very clear distinctions. I chose you. You did not choose me, Jesus says to his apostles. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and God made us alive. Pay attention to who's doing the verbs. If you're doing the verbs, the law is involved. If God is doing the verbs for salvation, it's the gospel. Who's doing baptism? Notice it's passive. I am baptized. It happens to you. It's not your action. It's God's action. I am absolved. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven unto them. Notice it's a passive activity. Who does the absolving? Called ministers of Christ publicly and privately your fellow Christians. I kneel to receive the body and blood of Christ. Take and eat. It's a passive activity. 
a giver gives it to you. It's Christ giving himself to you through the pastor's hand, body and blood. For what? Given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Pay attention to who's doing the verbs. If you're doing all the verbs, your religion ain't Christianity. Pastor Matt Harrison is president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a column for the latest edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Dead Men Don't Decide for Jesus. The Lutheran Witness interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective. You can receive an annual digital and print subscription for less than $20. Find out more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, The Lutheran Witness Magazine. Matt, thanks. Uh, great pleasure, Todd. Thanks for all you do. God bless you always. Up next, we will conclude our series on the opponents of Jesus today, talking about the Herodians with Dr. Curtis Giese. Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbook's Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. The saints at Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Kilgore, Texas are strangers and exiles on earth seeking a homeland in heaven. If you are in East Texas, visit in person. Otherwise, visit online at www.pilgrimlc.org. I shall follow where you Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, 
but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.